0: and goodness, Lord. So thank you that we have you to come to, Lord, and you are with us. Thank you that that you place us in a family where we're safe, where, Lord God, you can reach out and hold us and care for us through loving arms of your children, our brothers and sisters. So bless now, we pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I am really glad to be here with you this morning. It was not sure that that was going to happen. Uh, I uh, was traveling back uh, last night from uh, Arkansas uh, on standby, and uh, there was weather in Arkansas, uh, and I'm sorry, there was weather in Atlanta. So my flight from Little Rock was uh, delayed for quite a while, and uh, so I missed my connecting flight in. Um, in Atlanta, and I didn't know whether I was going to be able to get onto the next flight or not, and because they rolled all the people, there was a bunch of us that were at the gate for the 845 plane that got rolled over to the, so that everybody got rolled over to the 10 o'clock plane, and how many of you know if you're on standby, you're on standby. Uh, so all those people are ahead of you in the cube because they all have tickets and all that sort of stuff already confirmed, and so you know, everybody gets on, and I went to one of the agents who was standing at the counter, and I said, is there anything? And she's like, I don't think I can do anything here with your ticket. And I went to the guy who was releasing people in, and everybody else had gone in. I said, is there anything, any way? He says, I can help you. Boom, put me in. I'm in seat 1A, which, if you know, that means first class. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, thank you, Jesus. So... But, um, so I got home after midnight last night, which how many of you know is way past my bedtime. So, um, anyway, so if I uh, put my words together in a coherent fashion this morning, it's to God's grace and glory. So, all right, well this morning we are continuing our study of the letter to the Ephesians, A New Way. Um, I'm so excited about this series, it's been wonderful. If you've not yet um, been connected in... You can pick up uh, previous messages by going online to our uh, website at BethelTwinCities.org. You can pick up CDs and PowerPoint in the back as well, and I would encourage you to do so. This has been a powerful study for us, and uh, next week, we're going to kind of culminate finishing the first half with Paul's great prayer to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Um, Dr. Steve Rasmussen, our missionary in Kenya, is going to be with us to to bring a very concise and powerful, potent word around that in the context of our celebration service. And next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, so I think what Pastor Lidovic was sharing about, you know, come ready to sweat for Jesus. All right, this is going to be a great time just celebrating uh, Pentecost and the goodness of God as we come together as congregations. Really encourage you to join us next week. It's a powerful time every year for us just to, it, it's a prophetic witness of, the kingdom of God and what God's doing. And so it's going to be really, really fun. And I want to thank you again on behalf of uh, all of the leaders here at Bethel for your faithful giving to the, to the now is the time as we complete this. Um, your generosity has just been overwhelming, and uh, I am overwhelmed with gratitude for all of you. All right, well, this morning uh, I've entitled my message A Meaningful Life. Um, When I was preparing the message earlier this week, uh, I had no idea of the events that I would be having the privilege and honor to be a part of uh, this week. I mean, I knew it was going to come at some point, but when I got the call on Wednesday afternoon, thankfully after I had just completed putting the message together um, from Emily, that uh, things were moving along quicker than anticipated and that uh, my – Participation was going to be re- requested and required earlier than I thought. Um, I had no idea uh, the incredible opportunity that was placed before me. Um, I'm just, you know, as a, as a father and as a grandfather and as a pastor, I'm just profoundly honored and privileged uh, to have the opportunity to be engaged in people's lives in really critical significant, profound moments. And um, the profound moment of watching a mother, a birth mom, um, out of deep, deep love for her child to release that child into the hands of a mother who's been waiting for five plus years to receive that child, and to be able to release and to receive and to experience the the incredible wonder of that is something that I will remember all my life. And it's just a wonderful picture of um, the love of God, of um, how the power of relinquishment and the beauty and the wonder of life and a meaningful life Now, you know, we live in a time and an age and in a culture where, you know, it's kind of like uh, the great philosopher uh, Sally and Charlie Brown in Peanuts. Sally was given an assignment uh, asking her to write uh, her philosophy of life. And so she was telling Charlie Brown, well, so far, this was her assignment for school, so far I've written four words who cares, and forget it. And Charlie Brown said, well, how about why me? She said, that sounds good, I'll add that too. <laughs> but a lot of time when we look around or even perhaps in you reflect on your own life or seasons in your own life, there have been those times where perhaps the depth of your philosophy about meaning of life could be summed up in those very simple words of who cares or forget it or why me. But this morning our scripture gives us kind of a window in to the heart of the Apostle Paul and in through the heart of the Apostle Paul into the heart of God as it relates to truly what a meaningful life is all about. So if you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. You can pull it up on your smartphone. I really appreciate if you've got a smartphone. I love if you are looking at the scriptures with us, that's a beautiful thing. If you are gaming and texting, that's not quite as beautiful. All right. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, that has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And then in verse 14, he says again, for this reason, and that will be the beginning of the text for next week. But look at what he begins with. For this reason, I Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, I want you to understand here for a moment, okay, this is a a sermon McNugget for you, and I've I've got specific points that I want us to to grab hold of, but here's here's an extra point that I want us to to really understand and, and grasp this morning because it's connected to our understanding of what a meaningful life is. You know, life happens around us all of the time. As somebody told me years ago, the, the, you know, the difficulty about a daily life is that it's so daily. Um, it, you know, it, it shows up every single day, and it happens, and it, and it unfolds. And, and, and you know, sometimes we're like, what, what is all of this that's happening to me? Why me, as Charlie Brown said, or who cares, or forget it, or whatever it is. We don't even know how to kind of frame and contextualize what's happening in our lives. But Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that interesting? I mean, in the natural, in fact, in reality, if we were looking at his life, if you were looking in and understanding, again, the context here, Paul writing this letter from a Roman prison, he's not technically or naturally a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner of the Romans, right? They're the ones with whom he's in shackles. However, as he is in shackles, and as he's writing this, and maybe he's hearing the clank of chains, he says, for this reason, and again that goes back to all that we've looked at before, which we're not going to take time to go back for this morning. But for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, You see, Paul had an understanding. He had a comprehension, an insight, which is critical for you and I to receive as well. And that insight, that perspective that we get, is so important because our perspective determines our meaning in life. If life is simply a series of random events, of which we happen to us, and which we are the victims of, then life very quickly loses its fabric, its sense of of purpose and meaning, and it simply becomes a series of unrelated events which happen. But when we can see the story of God, His story, which is what history is, history is His story and the arc of his story over our lives individually and corporately. And we sometimes, in the middle of it, it's hard to see the perspective. We're kind of like, remember when Bilbo Baggins was, they, and, the, and the dwarves were going through um, Mirkwood, and they're going through Mirkwood, and, and, and it feels like they're never going to get out of it. And Bilbo climbs to the top of a tree, this little hobbit. He climbs to the top of the tree, and he looks out, and all he can see, as far as his eyes can can notice all he sees is more trees. And he says, we're, we're lost, we're never going to get out. But the fact of the matter is, he climbed up a tree, even though it was the tallest tree where he was, that tree, he didn't know, was sitting sort of in the bottom of a, of a depression. And so even though he was looking, he was kind of in a bowl, and actually they were very close to the end of the forest. But isn't that true for us? How often do we climb to the top of the tree to look and all we see is more trees around us? And yet, Jesus says, and Paul says to us earlier in Ephesians 2, that Christ has us, seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. That he wants to help get us into a new perspective. In fact, that's all of what Ephesians is about. It's about expanding our vision and our understanding of who God is and his character and expanding our understanding of what he has called us to as his people. Our perspective determines our sense of meaning in life. All right. First of all, Paul, so, so Paul says this in Ephesians, and, and I don't know if it, if it has it in your translation, but if you notice, at the end of Ephesians 3.1, there's a little line. And Paul goes off, he starts in Ephesians 3.1. He starts a thought, and then he gives an extended discourse on something kind of entirely, not entirely different, but he, he doesn't, it's like he's going to begin to pray in Ephesians 3.1, but then he stops, and he, he kind of gives some background before he goes back to the prayer in Ephesians 3.14. So this whole, verses 2 to 13, is a whole extended discourse that takes us into a whole other foundation and lays a foundation for the prayer that he's going to bring to us, starting in verse 14. it begins with a divine revelation. Look at what he says again. He says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, You'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises, in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, let's very quickly unpack that. First of all, this mystery, this incredible, now, now mystery, in, in, you know, when, in, in our connotation, mystery has, a, has sort of a different meaning. It's like something that's unattainable that you can't possibly, you know, uh, find a sort of, woo, you know, it's this big, grand. No, here, here we're talking about um, hidden in plain sight. When he's talking about mystery, he's talking about something that's really hidden in plain sight. And so when he talks about this mystery, what he wants us to grab hold of and what I want us to grab hold again this morning, this re- revelation, because this is foundational to our understanding of even who we are individually and as a people of God. First of all, we need to understand that Christ is in me. As it says, we studied earlier this year in Colossians, Colossians 127, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentile The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So he's speaking to us. So it becomes Christ in me, the hope of glory. I am alive. I am free. And I am at peace with God through faith in Christ. This is what Paul's been telling us all through Ephesians. This is the mystery of Christ in me. I am alive and free and at peace with God. Wow. Y'all can shout. I mean, that's like really good news to know that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. So he came to make dead people live and bound people free, and people who are distressed and frustrated and fearful. Bring them to peace. I want that. That's what I want. I'm signing up for that. Thank you, Jesus. I need you in me. And he goes further, though. It's not just Christ in me, because this isn't just an individualistic gospel. Paul's got a lot bigger fish to fry than just individuals. He's talking about Christ in us. As it said earlier in Ephesians 2, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So as you and I are united to Christ, we are united to one another, becoming heirs together, members together, and shares together in Christ. It's this picture of the triangle again. I use that when we talk about marriage, and I use that, but I mean, it's true in all of our relationships. As we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, as each of us has Christ in us. If this is me and this is you, the more we are submitted to Christ, the more, and Christ is here, the more we are submitted to him, the closer we are to one another, and the more we become heirs together and members together and shares together in Christ. That is the foundation of this house as a house of prayer for all nations whatever your language, culture, background, education, whatever your bank account, whatever your age, whatever those experience. in Christ, as we submit ourselves to Christ, we become united together with one another in him. And that's a great mystery, and it's, something, it's a hidden secret that when the world sees Christ in me and he begins to see Christ in us, Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we're going to get there in just a moment. Because that revelation speaks into us a divine commission. So not only is there a revelation, but Paul goes out and says, because of this now, there is a divine commission. Look at Ephesians 3, 7 to 9. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. I became a servant of this gospel. We are servants of this gospel. What does that mean? Well, Paul says here, I love this. First of all, here's another Sermon McNugget, okay? Grab hold of this. This is important. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am not what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Here's what I've discovered after 30 years of ministry and nearly 50 years of walking with Christ. As I walk with him more, I am more profoundly aware of my own inadequacy and my own brokenness and my own need of him, and I am more profoundly aware of his goodness and grace and my desperate need for the cross. So it's kind of like this. And, and, and Paul started, remember, at the... At the beginning of his writings, he says, it's really interesting. At the beginning of his writings, he says, I am as much an apostle as those other apostles are. And he's sort of like, don't mess with me. I'm just as big as you are. But at the end of his ministry, he comes all full circle and says, I'm the least. Not I was the least. I am the least. And I don't even deserve to be called. But it is only the goodness and grace of God. You see, so whenever this divine commission is a commission that issues forth out of humility. See, that's the profound, I think that's, that's the key even into to what Nate was sharing with us in terms of, of reaching particularly into the particular uh, GLBT community is not coming in pride, It's coming in humility. It's coming in that place of acknowledging our own brokenness and our own need of God's grace. Because each and every one of us are desperately in need of that grace. And we need to have our identity established by Christ in me. Christ in us. And that then issues forth. But it's got to flow out of a revelation of grace because if it isn't out of a revelation of grace it becomes it'll become a you know all you'll do is you'll get a big stick and you'll start beating on people. And Jesus says come 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 all right you get is this making sense? Are y'all tracking? Y'all are quiet. It's this weather. I tell you, I felt like I lived in a cloud for two days down in Arkansas. It never stopped raining. And then it was beautiful and sunny up here until I got back. So, And here we are. All right. So, Listen to this. Write this down in your heart. When we are convicted by God's grace, we will be compelled to administer that grace. Reaching will never happen if you're simply doing it out of guilt or shame or because I ought to or I know I should. Reaching happens naturally when the grace of God has captured your heart and you just are compelled. Because I just got to tell somebody about his goodness. That's all being a witness is. It's just telling people about his goodness, whether it's through art, if it's painting, or if it's dancing, or if it's... um, through uh, plumbing, I always pick it on Rich because he sits up front, or if it's through uh, engineering or whatever it is, or nursing or doctoring or, or um, bus driving or whatever, it's the grace of God flowing out through us. We're compelled because we've been convicted by the grace of God. Do you see this? Everybody get it? Okay, I'll move on. So what do we do? How do we administer that grace? We we evangelize, which is a word that's fallen in disrepute, unfortunately. But here here's what how, here's how Paul gets at this. He says, "He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone fully mature in Christ." To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Here's a big part of the challenge for us with evangelism is because we try to do it in our own strength. You know, I'm going to get the tool, and I'm going to have it, and then we're trying to figure, and how am I going to work the tool? And, you know, and, and all of that, and we're going to try to figure out, and, and the thing is, and I've told you this before, if you begin to view people as targets or as tools, I think God will have a come-to-Jesus meeting with you like he has with me. Because he told me, People are not targets and they are not tools, they are treasures. They are treasures. They are treasures. Right? And it's his energy working within me that sees the treasure in that person and calls them forth into their true identity in Christ. To proclaim the good news, this is what evangelism is, to proclaim the good news of the infinite grace and goodness of Christ. You just can't stop talking about his goodness and grace. If you want to get through and penetrate through somebody's life, just tell them your story. I was a mess. I was a mess. I've gone through pain. I know hurt. I understand. I I, I may not have the same exact hurt you've got, but I've gone through you to know, God loved me through that. And he didn't love me more than he loves you. It also means to enlighten. Paul talks about that here, this enlightening. He uses this word in in Ephesians 3. Notice, uh, go back to the passage in Ephesians 3 for a moment before we go to here. He says, He says, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain, that's the words, to make plain means to enlighten, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. It's it's the word at, at the root word in the Greek is photo. It's like a, a an exposure, it's 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 like a, a darkroom exposure where the, the picture that's there begins to become clear. Look at what it says in Second Corinthians four, four to six. We usually just quote four four, but go on. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So what this is about is about the light of Christ shining through us. Through cracked pots like you and me. Through cracked pots like you and me. Because that's what he goes on and talks about. He says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all surpassing greatness is from God and not from you. Because guess what? It's not about you. It's not about you being perfect before your neighbor, it's not about you ever losing your temper. It's not about you never letting that word slip out that probably shouldn't have slipped out. It's about God living an authentic life where Christ and his love simply just begins to pour out of you. Have you ever been around somebody like that? You just want to be close. You just want to snuggle up and say, come on, I want to be near you. Because I want that light. Enlighten my heart. The God of the age is blinded. They just don't see. Remember, being lost—that's not a pejorative term. Doesn't mean somebody's—you know—it means doesn't mean they're a bad person. It simply lost means I'm out of place. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. So I want to be enlightened. I can't see. I'm wandering around in the darkness, and I can't see. And it is our opportunity to let the light of Christ shine through our lives to those in darkness. All right. And then there's the divine demonstration. We're coming in for a landing. His intent was that now, his purpose was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. The demonstration now of this revelation and commission happens through us. We're the divine demonstration. We are the living picture. We're the living picture. We are displaying the Son who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. The church, John Stott, I love what he says, reflecting on this passage in Ephesians and now in Colossians as well, it says the church is a multiracial, multicultural community. It's like a beautiful tapestry. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom Means that, and when it says manifold grace in the scripture, it means many colored, it means many faceted. And so as the church, we become many facets because there ain't nobody in the world that's exactly like me, thank God. And there's nobody in the world that's exactly like you, thank God, because each of us are unique masterpieces created by him. And we then come together and create a unique masterpiece that displays the goodness and grace of God to the world. Because no human being can think this up. It just can't. The world can't recreate this. It tries. But you can't just squish people together and expect something to happen if there hasn't been an internal transformation that begins from the inside out. You can never get at this from the outside in you'll never get there. As a friend of mine used to say, you know, all the talk about um, diversity and multiculturalism within the world, all sounds really good until the bullets start flying. And then, boom. But the church is to stand as a living demonstration. And the church perseveres. This is the last scripture. I love what Paul says here in Philippians. So these are all related. He's writing, you know, all of his writings are related because they're all coming out of the heart of God and what God's working in his life. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you'll be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also, listen to this, 21st century American Christians, listen, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. As the church, we will persevere knowing that as we share in his suffering, we will also share in his glory. Nobody said this was easy, this divine revelation and divine commission, that this divine demonstration, nobody ever said, yeah, it's a cakewalk. Somebody ever sold you that bill of goods, uh, give them the bill of goods back. <laughs> give them the goods back. Because it's just not real. Reality is, is, in this world, you will have troubles. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know your heart is troubled, but, but remember trust in me and tr- trust in God and trust also in me. Persevere. Come on up, worship team. All right. That's what I got to deliver today. Because a meaningful life is a life, let me tie the ends together with this. A meaningful life is not a life that is marked by a philosophy that says, who cares, forget it, why me? But a meaningful life has had a divine revelation of Christ in me and Christ in us. A meaningful life not only has that identity, but has a sense of destiny and purpose that says, I, am, I have a commission to go and evangelize, to proclaim and to enlighten, and to let the light of Christ shine through me and the Word of God flow through me. A meaningful life recognizes and understands that we have a divine purpose together to demonstrate and display this goodness and glory of God, even in the face of suffering. So we're going to close with two songs. One is sort of focused on that first part, the revelation, and the second is focused more on the commission. And I'd like us just to stand together and sing this. And this will be our closing this morning, our declaration. So we're going to declare it in song. And, you know, as always, the altar is open. And if you need or desire to come, you are welcome to come. Well we're gonna sing first the great hymn and can it be? So somebody start. Gene's gonna start us. If you would just take the hand of the person next to you again, I'd like to do the benediction today, It's corporate benediction over this house, as we step into this 90 days of reaching and as we continue to press out, I believe the Lord wants to give a grace for perseverance, for strength to display, and humility to display. His graciousness and goodness of Jesus, work in us the things that you have spoken to us this day. Lord, that you might be gloried and honored now and forever. And in this house, that your name may be magnified, that you might be exalted above all. And I pray now that this house and every individual who is a part of this house may be filled afresh this day. With the immeasurable, oh, Jesus the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power and comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray, Lord, The banner of your favor will be over us, and that God, your goodness and mercy and love will chase us down every day of our lives. I bless you in the name.